Welcome back to The Sib List, two siblings, four movie lists, and one podcast. Today we are talking about the new release, 2021's Don't Breathe 2, directed by Rodo Sayegas, written by Rodo Sayegas and Fede Alvarez, both of whom created these characters, wrote the first film, Don't Breathe. This is, of course, the sequel to that film, Don't Breathe, was pretty successful, took the idea of a home invasion film and flipped it on its head, making the intruders uh, the victims, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. If anyone isn't familiar with the first film, you definitely should go check it out. It's a pretty cool film. The premise of the first film is that you have these kids who are really looking for some money. Uh, One young lady especially who's looking to stop breaking into homes and stealing money. She wants to make this her last score get the money, kind of go off and make up new life. And she and some some guy friends break into this particular house where they hear there's a stash in the money, uh, in the safe of this old man. And it turns out that this blind old man is a former Navy SEAL. And uh, he, you know, makes them regret their choices. Um, in Don't Breathe 2, uh, the old man who is played phenomenally by Stephen Lang. He plays the old man whose name is Norman, and I don't think I knew that at all between these two films. I don't believe I knew that actually either. So trivia for you. IMDb. Um, He has survived the last film. Uh, He has a young lady with him named Phoenix, and he is raising her as his own. She is not allowed to leave the house except on very small scheduled field trips with uh, a woman named Hernandez from whom uh, she, well, she buys her plants from Norman. Uh, She is a, you know, I guess a florist or some sort of plant shop and uh, she buys them from him. He's got a greenhouse, et cetera, et cetera. But the main focus of Don't Breathe 2 is these men break into the house because they are trying to take Phoenix. Um, And there's a lot of playing back and forth in this film about who the good guys and who the bad guys are. Um, So we'll get further into that as we discuss it. So this film just released on Friday, August 13th. So this is why we have chosen it as our new release selection for episode three of The Sib List. Mark, what did you think of this one? Um, so I am a huge fan of the first one. The first one, if everybody remembers the last podcast, I was raving. Loved it. Loved the first one. This one, slightly different. I didn't hate it, but I did not love it. I did not enjoy it too much. Um, I kind of got sick of the play back and forth that you did briefly mention that we will talk about. Um, I feel like almost like the directors forced the creation of this one and had to come up with some kind of story to then have this movie be created. Um, I did. I, I wasn't a, a huge fan of this one as much as I was the first one. Fair enough. Yeah. What did you think? I have to agree. It definitely doesn't reach the yeah. level of effectiveness. The first one had, Um, The first one, I mean, the idea of don't breathe, it it matched the feeling in the actual theater. Um, I 
can't agree more. In fact, I <laughs> I actually rewatched the second one after watching the first one, and I did. I'm sorry, excuse me. I watched the first one after watching the second one. And I did actually find myself holding my breath a couple times because I don't know if it was just uh, a reaction, if it's just how the feel, the atmosphere of the movie was. Um, but something just caused me to keep holding my breath because I didn't want to hear, I didn't want to miss slight sounds or anything like that. But the, again, the second movie did not give me that same feeling. Yeah, the tension in the first one is really brilliant. It it just it absolutely makes an entire audience hold their breath with the um, intruders in his home in the first film, mm-hmm. just trying to make sure that they escape detection uh, from this blind man who has this super honed in hearing sense um, and has just really figured out how to track them. Um Mm-hmm. which is fascinating in the second film you have edges of that but it's it's not as effective and i think part of that is because they do try to blur the lines between who's a good guy and who's a bad guy and i think therefore our allegiances are blurry as well like mm-hmm. we are aligned obviously with madeline grace who plays phoenix um this young lady who is i don't know 12 I would say. Give it take. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, she's, she's not a full teenager yet. I think she's just on the brink of that. Um, <laughs> and she, she is brought up by the blind man, Norman, and he is training her. So the film actually begins um, with scenes that are found in the trailer. So there's no real spoilers here, but she, the film begins with a young lady running through the woods sort of in a full tilt panic, it seems. Uh, There's this dog chasing her, this Rottweiler. Um, You know, she's trying to avoid detection. You get the impression she's being chased, not just by the dog, but by someone else. Uh, There's an element of her running through the woods, dodging what seems to be these old sort of foundation elements for what used to be a home or something. And then she finds a fence. She scales the fence. She's on a basketball court. She finds this sort of junkyard. There's some cars and this dog is still chasing her. And she, she comes upon a, a, a bag in, uh, in one of the cars. So it's sort of like a backpack, like a satchel. And there's a gun in there and she seems very relieved. And suddenly she's grabbed from behind by the blind man. And uh, he takes the gun from her and tells her she has failed. And, you know, her demeanor changes. She's frustrated because she's like, well, I had the gun. He's like, yeah, well, I've got it now. Um, So we discover that this is a survival test. And she fails because she lost control of the actual situation. So we get this impression that he is training her. He's trying to make sure that she could survive if she found herself in danger. The dog, the vicious dog, his name is Shadow. Um, You know, he's her pal. He looks out for her. But it's interesting that he's trained as well to sort of chase her and make it seem like she's being... So one part that I realized is that, again, I had the benefit of actually watching both movies in the last few days. That whole scene you described there, described right there, um, is actually very similar to the ending of the first one, if you recall, Mm -hmm. where the girl is 
running out of the house and the dog is chasing her she leaps over a fence she has a backpack or a satchel and she runs into a car i mean so i'm curious now if this survival technique he created is to then um recreate the um what occurred with his first break-in and see how she survives in that current situation it's very interesting very it's very linear in that uh in the comparison to the two movies I feel right there. I it don't is know a if they're nice trying parallel. to do a, a leave off. Yeah, it really is a nice parallel. I don't know if they're the direction's trying to like, well, let's try to pick up where we left off in a sense. I don't know. But no, it was, I think that again, just those like that. Yeah, Alvarez and Sayegas, they seem to know what they're doing, certainly. Like they've crafted these films in a very particular way. This thing is not slapped together. Um, while mm-hmm. the effect may not be as strong as the first film, part of that comes with a sequel. Like you understand the game already, you know, the Jurassic Park effect. If you think about the very first Jurassic Park in 1993 and how beautiful the dinosaurs looked in that amazing ooh-ah moment when you first see the Brachiosaurus feeding from the tree as, um, you know, the, the characters drive up in the Jeep and they notice and you have that beautiful swell of music from John Williams. You have that ooh-ah moment of, oh my God, it's a dinosaur. Not to mention in 1993, CGI was not a thing. You know, it was there, but it was incredibly complicated. So to be able to see this on screen and to have it look as realistic as it did was a massive moment. You get to the sequel, The Lost World, and there's a similar setup moment with a stegosaurus but the ooh-ah is already lost because we had that the first time. You can't right. duplicate surprise, mm-hmm. right? You can't duplicate tension if you know what's going on. A jump scare only works if you haven't seen a million horror films and suspense films where you know that if the camera is shooting into the dark over a character's shoulder, you know that somebody's going to jump out of there. Absolutely. Um, so that same kind of thing is not necessarily as effective here. But I do see that Saegas and Alvarez are putting together this element of mirroring what was going with the first one. So you go into this film, and I am one of these people, um, people who haven't heard me say this a bajillion times on everybody else's podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't watch movie trailers because as oh, a horror fan, you don't. I hadn't heard Shut up. I had, uh, you know, I, as a horror fan, I got very frustrated with everything being revealed in the trailers. And I can give you two stellar examples. Um, the Forever Purge and the Escape Room sequel, which are both um, out now. I don't know if The Purge is actually still in theaters. Um, in fact, it's frankly, <laughs> the Escape Room film may not be either because it's not very good. But the endings to both of those films are in the trailer. Which I, I, Incredibly I, frustrating. I, I haven't seen the escape movie, but I've seen the trailer, and I think I actually was able to pick out the ending. Yeah. Which is funny. There's no reason <clears throat> for the ending to be in these yeah. films. Um, so it just it drove me crazy, and years and years ago I gave up trailers. So I went into this film cold, only knowing what Don't Breathe was. So in the beginning of this film, it's like, oh, okay, I peripherally knew that someone had been – you know, kidnapped or whatever. So I, you know, you assume, oh, the blind man must have kidnapped somebody and this is him chasing her or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's not like I was floored by, oh, it's actually a training exercise. Who knew? Like, it was an easy adjustment to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then we get 
into the home and there's bars on the windows. So you can tell that he's still very focused on security. Um, and, you know, we meet Hernandez, this young woman who uh, wears a baseball cap bearing the name of one of the production companies, which I thought was kind of cool. So the film, oh, interesting. the film is in part produced by Bad Ombre and her hat says Bad Ombre. And I, I like the idea of, you know, bad man. <laughs> Um, seeing as how this film is about bad men. Um, it's just kind of fascinating the way these little details make it into the film. So she offers to take Phoenix into town. Phoenix really wants to go. Father, as she calls him, Norman, uh, does not want her to go in. So you get this idea that she's very eh, locked up. I don't want to say locked up because she's not technically locked up, but she's sequestered. She's isolated. She's only allowed out into the real world once in a while, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as the film continues, she is at this playground and she has this lovely moment where she's sitting on the swings and she sees some kids on the other, uh, the little merry-go-round thing that they don't really have anymore. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like this turntable merry-go-round that they've taken out of most playgrounds. But anybody our age knows those things. You know, it's got the bars on them and you would sit on it and hold on for dear life as a friend of yours ran around it as fast as possible. Right. And oftentimes the fun part of these little merry-go-rounds was flying off the thing. Yes. <laughs> I mean, this this was the goal. You ran around as best as you could to either hang on for dear life or fly off. Either was totally fun. So she has this idea where one of them has like a little motorbike and it's like, well, if I put the motorbike up against this thing and somebody turns the engine on, it'll spin really fast. She makes friends. It's super cute. Oh, wait, it's actually a vision. It's not really happening. It's all in her head. Right. So further underscoring her loneliness, you know, what did you think of Phoenix? Before we start getting into the real spoilery stuff, what did you think of the setup of this at the beginning? I just thought Phoenix was a young girl of 10 to 12 who was beyond her years, mostly because of her training and her upbringing and her seclusion, her home teaching, um, who wanted, who is just a stereotypical, I don't want to say locked up kid, but again, secluded kid in a movie who wanted friends. That's a, that's all it was. That I didn't take it for more than that. That's how it was represented to me. That's how I took it as. Um, yeah, it really didn't do too much uh, with it for me or anything like that. Just little teen, little preteen that wanted friends. Yeah, just kind of setting things up that you know mm-hmm. are going to be coming later. I will say the script really does kind of follow a very set structure. She uh, discovers that that well, not discovers. We discover that the kids that she's looking on uh, as they play are from a shelter nearby called Covenant Shelter. Um, and she kind of yearns to be with these other kids. So obviously, you know that the shelter is going to come into play later on. Um, but also tells you that, you know, maybe she isn't very happy with the life that she's being brought up in. Yeah, I can't she imagine she would new. be. I I mean, I get it. But if also if you're raised and that's all, you know, you know, you find a situation. So maybe that's well, of course, this is all I know. Of course, I'm happy. So but yes, if they're if she's having these visions of, you know, having these friends and wishing she was there, then she's definitely not happy in the life she's in. And they definitely want you to know that right away. 
And I mean, I think there's definitely something to the age, too. I mean, as a child, like as a little kid, she may not have had too much of an issue with, you know, a couple of quick trips here and there. But, you know, as she grows to become a teenager, the whole point of coming of age is finding your own way and, you know, to 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 push a cliche even further, you know, sort of spread your wings and leave the nest. Well, the irony is that she is constantly singing to herself this sweet little song um, about a blackbird. And, you know, it was hard at first to get all of the lyrics to this because she would kind of mumble it. And I don't have my closed captions that I always watch at home because I need to make sure I know what the ghosts are whispering. But, um, you know, she's singing this very sweet song, fly bird, fly bird, um, out across the great wide sea, sing girl, sing girl, sing your little heart out for me. Um, so it's this beautiful idea of trying to be free, trying to break out and trying to use her voice, that kind of thing. So she, you know, this is a song that she remembers her mother used to sing to her and on their trip, Hernandez takes her to her old home and she says, you know, do you want to go say hi to your mom? Because her mom died in the house fire years Mm -hmm. and years ago. And so she goes to this shell of a home that has been burned down and she has like a very lovely little plaque or like little uh, carving. I love you, mom. And she has left flowers there. And while she's in there, there's creaking in the house. This idea that there's somebody else there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she bolts before you know, we find out whether it's just an old creaky house or whether there's somebody creeping around downstairs. Obviously, there's somebody creeping around downstairs. Um, Spoiler alert. I mean, we're trained to this. Like, it's not just going to be, you know, it's one of those things where I guess when you first start watching films, you don't necessarily think about how they're actually made. But, you know, if you're shown something in a film, there's a reason you're shown that thing. If the house were simply settling, it would not be in this film. Um sure. You know, if if there wasn't going to be some sort of uh, significant plot element to the Covenant Shelter, we wouldn't see the sign. We wouldn't see these kids going there. So, uh, you know, spoiler alert, well-made stories. Yeah, well, well-made stories are going (laughs) to hint at things and move forward. You know, in, in, in theater, you have Chekhov's gun. You have Anton Chekhov, who is an incredible playwright. And, you know, to paraphrase, he would talk about, like, if if you have a gun, if I see a gun in the first act, that thing better go off by the third. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, some Chekhov's guns here. Here's some Chekhov's gun here. <laughs> We're leaving Words that in. Hard. We're leaving that in. Words are hard. <laughs> I'll leave that in just for the goofiness of it. Um, So anyway, let's get into the actual tension of the film, which begins when Phoenix needs to use the bathroom. She goes to a public bathroom and as she goes to leave, there's a creep standing at the doorway to the bathroom. Makes you never want to use a public bathroom again. And he's just, you know, I probably would would have turned around walking into that bathroom anyway. But oh, it's just gross. But I I mean, you know, if you got to go, you got to go on a tree. (laughs) (laughs) and you know so he he starts talking to her and clearly he's a creep and to her credit she's like yeah this this isn't gonna happen you know like my father's expecting me and he's like yes sure uh but then the dog shows up and she says you know i i can snap my fingers and he'll bite your testicles off Mm -hmm. so properly he backs off 
but okay. he does say to her, I'll see you around. So obviously this is a bad dude, hence mm-hmm. bad hombre. And uh, he decides that he and his boys in their badass pickup truck are going to follow him. So it's actually a nice tr- truck. I'm not going to lie. It was actually a nice truck. <laughs> so what? Does that elevate the guys in a certain way? I'm just saying, you said they're badass pickup truck. I'm like, oh, I actually like that truck. I know it was just an F-150, but for some reason, I really liked it. <laughs> you're not you're not badass enough to drive that truck, Mark. I do hey, like no. a good truck, though. I mean, you, I love a good truck that you're going to take a running start to get into. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> That's a truck. Like if yeah. you, <laughs> I mean, I'm five ten. You're six foot six. I mean, like if we have to really climb into a truck, uh, that's a truck. Yes. Anyway, anyway. I digress. <laughs> we only talk about the really crucial, important things. Yes. On this is very important. People, pay attention. So anyway, so we're not just you know dragging along, going through the plot. <laughs> scene by scene. Um, so anyway, we get to obviously the beginning of the of the the conflict and what's actually going to happen. So creepy dude gets in the truck with his buddies and says, follow them. So we know now that he is going to follow them home um, and there's going to be a problem. So we are shown in the back of the pickup truck, a cooler. And at some point, uh, when we're inside, I don't remember if we're in a convenience store or what, but there's a TV that's talking about a man that they're investigating trying to find this surgeon and an organ trafficking ring. Black market and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we see the cooler in the back of the truck and we go, oh, these guys are from the organ dealers. And they're after young Phoenix for her organs. This is what we're going for. Okay, great. So we get back to the home. Obviously, we have a, you know, a scene where they kind of pull up and they ha- they're not getting out of the car just yet. They're still kind of surveying the, the area. And we have a bit of a um, minorly emotional discussion between Norman and Phoenix where she wants to go to school. She wants to go to actual school with actual kids. She wants friends. And he's like, no, we're going to do the homeschool thing. It's safer here. And she's like, I don't want to be safe. I want to be normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's basically telling her, tough luck, not going to be the case. Um, you know, she talks about being lonely. And he says, well, you've got me. And he, she frankly tells him, you're not enough, which you're is a enough. hell of a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you and I are not parents and, you know, I think it's pretty heartbreaking when your child gets angry at you and, you know, in anger will yell, I hate you and slam the door or whatever. But, you know, to be told that you're not enough is going to be pretty heartbreaking. And so we look at this in a moment of sympathy for Norman. Um, he does obviously care very much about her safety. This is, I think, where the idea of Norman as a bad guy starts shifting, because we, to this point, are establishing that he cares very much for her. He's making sure that she is well-trained, that she's well-educated. Um, you know, we have a scene earlier where he's checking a test and she does really well on the test. Um, which is kind of cool because, like, he's obviously reading it in Braille. And so she's taking this test in Braille, mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. neat. Um, but, you know, the point is she's not 
literally locked up in a cage. She's got a very nice room. She obviously has possessions, but yes, yeah, she's not allowed to go outside as on her own. She doesn't uh, interact with other people very much. He trusts Hernandez. So, you know, she gets to take her out, but you know, so we know that there's this concern. So she wants to spread her wings and, you know, sort of become her own person. So talk about the scene where the guys in the truck are blocking the road and Hernandez needs them to get the heck out of her damn way. What was blocking the other side of the road? I couldn't. Was it just like a, a trash pile? Like yeah. I couldn't really make out what it was. Yeah, they they have, randomly chose that spot, I guess. Well, I not randomly, because it was one. Well, not ra- I guess out. randomly isn't the word, but it's it, it was convenient that they found an underpass that happens to have a built up of trash. So all they got to do is park there and they can't get by. I don't know. It's just convenient to me. Well, anyway, like, what, I'm so not trying to tear there? apart that. that scene. What's that? What's the purpose? Uh, why were they blocking her in? Like, what are they doing? Well, instead of trying, me yammering through the whole thing, trying, you take this part. Thanks. Um, so purpose alone is identifying um, these folks, these guys um, to see. Well, there's more than just these two guys that originally, you know, the guy that's in the bathroom. Then the guy says, follow them. You see, there's a truckload of these guys. There's four of them. There's a dog. They have everything. They're 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 built to the nine to do whatever bad stuff they plan on doing. So they are blocking in Hernandez, and she as a also as a, ret- a retired. I believe she's retired. I don't know if she was active, but so she knows that she needs to get by. So she gets out of her truck and she walks up. She's she's armed because again she's a retired vet. And she notices that the guy in the front seat is the same gentleman that she witnessed following Phoenix out of the ladies' room. That same creeper. She same creeper, and she's like, "Okay, this is, she she have to be thinking this is not a coincidence." However, um, she's going to be tactful in how she says, "You know, I need to get by. Can you please move your truck?" Uh, they notice her ranger pattern. What's that? She's very polite about it. She's not rude, she's but you can tell she's also cautious. She, cautious. She's,
retired or dishonorably discharged vets and um, just to get it so it's Jess Norman and Jess Phoenix for whatever they're about to do next. Right. And I mean, it gets pretty, pretty alarming. I mean, you sort of have this idea of the power structure within the group. Um, you know, the the guy who the creeper at the bathroom who we find out his name is Rylan. He's sort of the guy in charge. And his second hand is this odd Alex Winter slash D Snyder in Strangeland looking dude uh, named That's JB. Bad. Yeah. His mm-hmm. uh, his shirt very clearly, thankfully, says JB on it. So it helps us identify which <laughs> of the goons he is, um, mm-hmm. especially since I was taking notes during the thing, trying to identify which goon was whom. And so I'm using labels like puffer jacket or dark goatee. And I'm like, thank God for JB, because I really just can't keep writing D Snyder over and over again. Uh, but, you know, so you have that. And then there's sort of like the goons that are with them. So. You know, they they pull up to the house and, OK, we know that they're going to get in there. And, you know, Ryland is not in the truck at this point, though, which I find interesting. Um, the only reason we know his name is Ryland is because JB at one point turns and says, call Ryland. And so, oh, OK, that guy's not actually here. So we know there's a total mm-hmm. of five guys they had to take this one girl. It seems a little bit like overkill, but obviously having seen the first film and having seen any of the trailers and such, we know that Norman is not going to be easily overtaken. All right. So then we get into the chaos of them breaking into the house. And then this is really the time when they start trying to duplicate the tension of the first film. Um what happens is, you know, Shadow is lured across the street and Ugh. away from the house. And we find out just how bad these guys are, because in the mm-hmm. world of movie rules, if the guy kills the dog, you know, you're dealing with bad guys. Yes, and, and it does happen. Spoiler and when this alert, happened, unfortunately, Shadow does not make it. Shadow um, does not make it. Which gets and at interesting. This point, I did turn to my wife and said, "I hope they mess. I hope he messes them up." <laughs> of course. So it's it's interesting because this trope does come up later. Um, but so poor Shadow is killed. Norman comes out. He's it's time to feed Norm. Of uh, time to feed Norman. It's time to feed Shadow. <laughs> and so he's shaking the metal, you know, cup of kibble and. Anybody who has a pet knows that when you shake the food, the pets come running. Um, Shadow does not come running. So he goes and he's going to dump the food into the bowl, which is on the porch. Notices that the bowl is still full. So Mm -hmm. anybody who has a pet knows this is a problem. So, Which is also an interesting timeline. Um, How long has Shadow been gone? Because if that bowl is full like that and he's refeeding them now how long is this because again like you said if anybody has a pet when the food's down the food's not down for long so when did he feed him last i i I was just like oh that's interesting because that's a very full dish well so there's a couple of possibilities here that i could theorize uh one could be you know the fact that he was out all day with phoenix and hernandez uh but when he came back you know they did show a shot of him sitting on the porch very alert Maybe he's just been very alert of what's going on and he didn't eat. I don't know. Point is, <laughs> I, I agree. It's a bit of a plot hole. Like, why is this? Yeah, this dish? I'm but sorry. It does, 
we need something to signal Norman to the fact that Shadow is not there. Correct. Things no, I, I understand the purpose of it, but I'm totally. Like, huh. okay. Yeah, it's like, no, that's that would never happen because it'd be a ball of five minutes before that dish would have been emptied. So, um, so, you know, Norman now is needs to investigate. And so we have this short sequence where he goes from the porch and the door is open behind him because you're just going out to feed the dog. What's the difference? Um, he goes back in. He grabs a coat. He goes back out. And so, you know, at this point, you know, the camera is showing us Norman moving around on the porch. We know that these guys have snuck into the house behind him. Um with the open door. And of course, as he's there, we do see them over his shoulder, like standing in the kitchen kind of thing. Like we know they're in the house. So mm. he closes the door as he goes to investigate where shadow is. Phoenix is alone in the house upstairs in her room, still kind of sulking, being upset about the fact that she's not allowed to go to school. She's not allowed to leave, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so we hear creaking in the house as these two guys are silently trying to walk in. So you've got JB and you've got, um, Dude. Duke, thank you. <laughs> I have to go to my labels. Um, who originally I thought Duke was the creeper in the bathroom. So this just was a mess for a while in my notes. But uh, this guy, Duke and JB, um, are now kind of going around the house. And Phoenix is alerted to them when she hears coming up the stairs. And then the real kind of kicker is they turn the hall light on. And that's when she really notices, okay, something is wrong here because Norman right. need to turn on the light. He doesn't need the lights. Exactly. So it, I thought that was a real slick kind of move because, yeah, of course we're going to turn on the light. But that alerts her to there's something wrong. So she hides under the bed, as everyone does. But what's really kind of cool in this sequence, and also a lot of this sequence, if not all of it, uh, is one take. You know, there comes a point where she's trying to escape from them and it's all in one take. So the camera is moving with Phoenix and she's under the bed and then she kind of creeps out. He actually lifts the whole mattress, looks through the slats of the bed frame and she's not under the bed anymore. Um, and then he goes into the bathroom. We discover that she is, um, you know, kind of creeped back into a corner and then she gets under the armoire. The armoire, yeah. Um, he comes, you know, we see his feet, he's looking in the closet. She very wisely takes her watch and kind of tosses it. It beeps, it lures him to the bathroom again. She creeps out. It's an interesting situation where this is the tension. You're supposed to be afraid for her. There's one guy in her bathroom. There's another guy starting to come up the stairs and somehow she's still slick enough where she's kind of hiding in the door frame at one point. Right. Yeah. Um, darts out, turns off the light, gets past these two guys. There's a really funny moment when Duke kind of stares down JB like, dude, what the hell's wrong with you? Don't turn the light off. Um, Cause obviously he thinks JB is. I him. actually took that as in she's out here. She turned the light off clearly. And it was this long. It was like within the last three seconds yeah. that he turned her right back. on. I took it more along the lines of, okay, she's here out here somewhere. That could be. That could definitely be. I thought it was just a funny moment where it's like, listen, you idiot, don't turn the light off. Um, so now this is all one take. So you've got the camera moving because we don't know where she is now. And you kind of get this swoop down the stairs around the corner. It turns out she's hanging from uh, the second floor between there and the stairs. She very quietly jumps, uh, releases and jumps down to the 
first floor. So here's where it got interesting to me because now I'm paying attention to sound. I'm paying attention to what we see, what we don't see. You know, in this home, Norman is going to want hardwoods, obviously. He's going to need to hear where people are when they're walking around. I mean, really, it's just Phoenix, but um, part of what is alerting her to where they are is the sound they make. But when she drops from the second floor, it's silent. So there's like a runner rug in that space that she was able to drop to. It's probably the only rug for the most part in the house. Um, so I found that really interesting that I, d- I don't believe that her sneakers would have been completely silent or her boots or whatever it is. So this converse, you never know. I guess, but my God, if you're dropping from the second floor, you're not going to be silent. So I'm explaining it and saying there's a rug there, darn it. Um, but yeah, so it, it now becomes about listening to where they are as opposed to watching where they are. And so this now becomes one part of this trope of hearing and getting things the way Norman does, which I thought was interesting because that's where the tension is. You're trying to listen. And obviously you're sitting in a movie theater, you know, you're not in the home, but she has also been trained to use her ears to pay attention to where things are and what they're doing. Um, so we, you know, we have this whole situation where, you know, she escapes to the basement and as, um, Norman is breaking in. So I jumped his part here. So she's in the kitchen, she's hiding and JB locates her. And as he's about to shoot her, um, or maybe just kind of hold her in place, Norman busts through the back door window and is yelling at her to get to the box. So she goes downstairs to the basement, and the box is this cabinet that we are shown earlier in the film. Again, which they did foreshadow. Yep. <laughs> this, you know, Chekhov's gun, Chekhov's, you know, storage box in the basement. Um, she goes to get into this box. She locks herself in. So it's like, okay, this was a slick little move. You know, it's sort of like her own little contained panic room. Um, that being said, this obviously causes her some problems later when Duke comes downstairs, discovers she's in this box, can't get her out. So he but finds realizes, a post. But realizes you can actually get in from the, the top. This is a little air vent uh, kind of thing set up in the top so you can breathe. So this is like, oh, this is not going to be good. Right. So, you know, how how does Duke plan to get her out of there? Well, I, I see. I, if I'm Duke, I, I see those the vents. And originally, because they went past a whole bunch of like gas, bro, propane tanks and all this other stuff that's in this basement. I'm like, God, there's, there's, there's tons of ways to get her out of there. And Duke cleverly finds a hose, uh, hooks it up to the... Uh, utility sink that's downstairs and starts flooding the box. Yep, so it's either you out. come out or you're gonna drown in there. It's your choice, honestly. So you start it starts filling. And uh I forget, honestly, forgive me, but the next portion of the scene, does Norman come downstairs at this point when the the box is filling? Yeah. And she, what he does he, he does or does not. Yeah, he gets downstairs. He locks that door. So now it's just him and Duke in the basement. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, because he's he was outside. He never actually got into the house. So there's like a bulkhead entrance from the outside. Um, and he, you know, gets down into that basement. He locks that door. Um, 
And so now it's Duke versus Norman, and there's a bit of a race against time because this box is filling up with water. Uh, what did you think right. of this whole sequence with Duke fighting Norman and the water and all of this? So the, there was a little tension. Okay, so I did feel the tension a little bit because Duke decided to cleverly, when he realizes he was running out of time, he gets a live electrical cuts off, I believe it was a, a lamp or something. Right. exposes the wire and hangs it down into the box. He tells Norman, he's like, guess what? I've now put in a live wire in here, so you need to make a decision pretty quickly. He doesn't see Norman yet. Norman's still in the dark. And yeah, Duke lures pulls him out, out of his gun. Place. He's holding a gun towards the dark. And he's like, make a decision, dude, essentially. And Norman makes the decision. All of a sudden, you see one of those propane tanks I mentioned before start rolling out seeping gas. Norman, uh, Norman, Duke is like, well, shoot. All right, well, I guess I can't no use guns. this gun anymore. <laughs> it's like, wow, you clever. I'm like, oh, that's good. I like that. That was that was very clever. So he puts the gun down, and they start to get into a little bit of a brawl. Meanwhile, this water is still pumping, and those electrical wires are getting closer and closer. <laughs> me being who I am when it comes to the things I, I don't tend to try to tear things apart but there was enough of that wire covered that I don't know why she needed to kind of go across the top and kind of like just throw it out <laughs> throw I, it out of the thing I'm not touching a live wire I'm not I'm just, doing it, especially since my I'm hand just, is going to be wet I'm just saying no. if it's quick enough I just feel like I there was enough that you could, you could have done it could have done it but so she decides to drop underwater and try to unlock it. But of course, she's unsuccessful and the water's still filling, still filling. Um, meanwhile, the while she's going in, the water, the water is no longer calm. It's actually wavy. So now it's it's even getting closer. It's getting closer. Uh, so she, as, as she's trying to do this, Duke and Norman are still fighting. And Norman, out of nowhere, knows exactly where he is and pulls the cord out. Just yeah, from like the, the other side of the basement. Yeah, it's just so str See, that's just like this. So a wire that isn't where it normally is for a blind man who literally knows every inch of his own house. It's not like he rolls over the wire and knows where it is, or or, or something. He just happens to reach down there it is really? and pull it out. Yep. It's just very interesting. And how how does he know which way to pull it? What if he pulled it the other way and he's just pulling it from the wall? I don't know. This is the stuff I'm thinking, but whatever. This is why my, my wife hates seeing movies with me because I start tearing them apart like this. Um, <clears throat> so he yanks it out. So she's ultimately safer than she was before while they're still uh, fighting around, um, rolling around on the ground, having a man-on-man -man fight. But so now she's still trying to get out again, unsuccessful. Um, and ultimately it's 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 time for for duke to be done he's he's supposed he's he needs to be done in this movie now because the fight is kind of long at this point yeah, it um doesn't drag on quite a bit it really it? does it's like okay should we get it now the movie's not that long to begin with i mean what was it like no. an hour 30 hour 40 hour 38 hour 38 i mean come on mm -hmm. but uh so yeah so so he's defeated because um Norman <laughs> sets off an explosion that dispatches With the wire he pulled out. So <laughs> this great the gas tank is still going. 
yeah, rolls for, it for over bank the tank table. Is still filling up. It, it, and this is this uh, again. This I don't know. I feel a sense of disbelief during this. Maybe I'm supposed to again suspend disbelief when I'm watching a movie. But <clears throat> so he's got the propane going, going, and they're fighting. And Norman Whip does the whole. Well, I'm gonna guard myself behind this really thin table kind of thing, and takes the wire and smacks it on the ground to cause a spark. Boom. No, he doesn't smack it on the ground. He whirls it over the t- it's a metal table. So he whips it over the table, it creates a spark and that's what creates the explosion. My mistake. I for some reason I saw it as hitting the ground. Maybe I blinked at that point. Whatever, neither here nor there. He causes a spark with the electrical wire that he, that Duke tried to use to lure his daughter out of the box. And apparently now is this table protect them but you pointed out it's metal again i thought it was wooden i couldn't i i didn't make yeah, that, that tape um, would be disintegrated if it was this wooden. is when i was just like what okay um and there's a nice a nice little explosion in the basement and uh duke is exploded as it he were in fact exploded um, burned to a crisp i could have sworn when they came back to duke a little later in there that he was still alive oh he was, no like, looking i then i'm like oh he's not moving though so no no he is pretty pretty dead yeah. uh so you know to kind of to if we're talking about the fight going on too long i feel like our summary is going on yeah. too so <laughs> to move true, this true. on a bit uh you know norman gets <laughs> phoenix out of there there's a, a bit of a brawl in uh so he and phoenix get out through sort of a passageway out through the bulkhead, but there's a greenhouse nearby. It sort of dumps them out into that area. Um, And so there's a fight in there, but meanwhile, like as they're hiding, so some of my timeline is a little off here, but the next big sort of to do in this film is a shift. When we move from who's the good guy to who's the bad guy, Rylan has arrived. Rylan in his truck with another buddy um, has uh, this dog, this very angry dog in in a cage in the back. Um, and so they get Rylan there and Rylan is now engaged in the fight. And at one point as they're hiding in the greenhouse, Rylan calls out to Phoenix and says, Hey, so I don't know who this guy is, but I know who he isn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, at this point we start getting into the real, real big spoilers, you know, the, the stuff that's really earth shattering. So, you oh know, if you don't want to know what's going oh on, don't go. But anyway, <laughs> um, Turns out that, obviously, I mean, we knew this, but some of us who have seen the original film and what Norman was trying to do in the original film to replace mm. his lost child, you know, some of us were kind of like, ew, is that where Phoenix came from? Turns out, <laughs> Phoenix, if you haven't seen this film, this is why you need to go back. It's probably one of the more shocking things that I've ever seen in film. Gross. But anyway, um, so turns out that he found phoenix rylan is phoenix's actual father and their house burned down because it turns out that rylan and his girlfriend whatever wife phoenix's mother uh were running a meth lab in the home and there was an an error and the house went up in flames and phoenix was found in the road by Norman. So you have a flash at one point of a little girl stumbling to um, to a stop at the, at the stair uh, in in the road. And um, 
the house in flames behind her. So it turns out, you know, that was Phoenix. Norman rescues her, takes her in, is caring for her, et cetera, et cetera. So she finds out in this moment that this creeper at the bathroom is her actual birth father. Mm -hmm. He shows her this like patch of white hair he has that she also has. And so now she doesn't know whom to believe. She doesn't know whether, you know, she should stay with this older man who's been protecting her or with this stranger who says, hey, I'm your dad. Um, you know, so there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of battling. There's a pitchfork that obviously gets used more than once. Um, of course. So, <laughs> you know, like these things move on until Rylan is successful in taking Phoenix. Now, in the meantime, we talked about this earlier. I want to bring it up now. He unleashes the dog and the dog runs into attack Norman. And at one point, Norman is trapped in the attic with the dog because he has taken like an old mattress spring and he's sort of blockaded himself into a corner and the dog is on one side, he's on the other. Norman has a gun and he points the gun at this dog. And this is where this, you know, you're dealing with a bad dude if he kills the dog trope comes in. And I do believe this is intentionally put in here to show you who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, because the bad guys have already killed shadow. Meanwhile, Norman has the chance to kill this dog and he doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I found that interesting. He maneuvers at one point and gets the dog on the other side of these springs. Um, Rylan has gone back to the truck. It turns out the cooler is not full of organs. It's full of Molotov cocktails. So he sets the house on fire, a little bit of an eye for an eye here. Um, and Norman is trapped in the attic with the dog. The house is burning. The guys take off in their truck with Phoenix. Um, but Norman does eventually get out. He does release the dog. So again, two chances to kill the dog doesn't do it. In fact, Ryland's buddy, um, actually says to him, you know, like the dog is still inside and Rylan's like, I don't care. Uh, this guy is already dead, man. Yeah. Dog's already dead. Who cares? And Raul is <laughs> definitely disturbed by this. So good on Raul. Um, but they take off the old man gets out, you know, Phoenix is gone. And so we have sort of like our move into act two of the story where now we are at the point where they are, where they hide out this abandoned hotel. Man, we are shown yeah. the creepy surgeon guy. We are mm -hmm. shown other dudes hanging around. Uh, but we have an instance where Rylan is talking with Phoenix and saying, you know, here's who you really are. Um, your name is Tara. Your real birthday is February 20th. Guess what, everyone? <laughs> That's my birthday. So I yes, it is. I was who like, this is made for you. That's me. Um <laughs> You know, like, here's what happened to, you know, to us. Here's how he took you. Like, this is what's going on. But what he emphasizes to her is you're not a prisoner. You can leave whenever you want. So, you know, she picks up her bag and starts to leave as she gets to the front door, though. So, of course. A woman in a wheelchair singing the song mm. to her. And it turns out that this is Phoenix's mother. Uh, she survived. So, surprise. Um, everything the old man has told Phoenix is a lie. And 
she's very happy about this. Everything's great. You know, mom and dad are telling her and showing her pictures and this is wonderful. And, you know, our allegiances start changing. Wow. That, you know, Norman is really a bad dude and, oh, this is terrible. And he took this girl and yeah. And then we, we get a, a lovely little shift because don't mm-hmm. forget the organ surgeon is here. The guy, the surgeon is there. Yes. So it turns out that mom in the meth explosion, uh, inhaled some chemicals. Her heart is failing. Her lungs are failing. She is going to die if she does not get a heart transplant. I mean, good God. So now, I mean, it's, it's totally dramatic. And mom who, you know, is, is looking for a way to be saved. We discovered that the two of them, Rylan and this mother, Josephine, want Phoenix's heart. Yeah. They're not happy about being reconnected with their daughter. They're only being reconnected because she's an organ farm. And it's, it's such a dime turn here. Unbelievable. She's as soon as this happens, they're leading up and they haven't fully announced it. If you're quiet enough in the theater, you can hear me say, oh, God. <laughs> exactly. It's like, really? All right, fine. Uh-huh. So guess what? Rylan is not a good guy. Like, we knew this already because, you know, he killed the dog. But if if you haven't seen enough of these movies, you may not be aware. So, you know, we have this whole thing now where they're talking about, <laughs> like, organ transplants. And, okay, now we're going to strap her to a table and this organ surgeon is going to take this and get – and you've got this creepy moment mm. where Josephine looks over at Phoenix and she mouths, thank you. It's thank like, you are you. a terrible person. So Right. If it, moments before when she finds out what she's there for, she actually says, you'll have a chance to save my life. Oh, it's, it's like, I don't want to save your life. You'll continue on as part of me. Uh, like, gag. Uh, that's so Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously... You know, I'm going to give you three guesses and the first two don't count. As the surgeon is about to cut into Rylan, the power goes out. Shock, surprise. Oh, my gosh. Really? I mean, the rest of this movie is going to be in the dark? This is, I know, right? There's this wonderful moment where um, Raul is like, like, what, what is going on? And like, Rylan is like, what the hell? What is going on? And like, how the heck did he find us? And the dog comes trotting into the room <laughs> and starts drinking his water. water moments before this whole scene happens norman turns to the dog latches him up to a leash and says go home and i loved it so it's much so funny um you just you grow to love this vicious pit bull oh type God. dog it's just like it's so mm-hmm. wonderful so you know rylan being the jerk that he is you know kind of I think he shoots toward the dog and the dog he runs shoots out of the room. Towards him, doesn't actually shoot the dog. No, thank goodness. Well, because oh, he, he shoots tries the bull. He shoots the bull. Right. And the dog takes off. It's just like, okay. Um, so, you know, go get him. JB goes downstairs. And now here is where we get that second sequence where they're really going to play up on the blindness trope. And I will say this sequence looks really good. Um mm. It's cool to watch the camera work. There's a lot of, um, you know, circular camera work here where you're kind of swooping around a room. The light and the use of shadows is very well done here. Um, you're in a dark 
corner of this basement area. You know, again, it's a, it's an old hotel. So you're in this basement area where there's a lot of rooms and caverns. And um, he fights with JB. He eventually dispatches with JB. Um, and so now you've got this water, you've got this light coming from somewhere. And so Ryland sends four other guys down there. And so this is another- this is this this part. I went full Gary Oldman in Leon the Professional. How many guys? <laughs> I want you to send everybody. <laughs> everybody. It's great. <laughs> it's so damn funny. Um, so all four of these guys go down here. And I mean, you do have this cool moment, you know, like this stuff is suggested. You've got this water raining in, um, you know, from a pipe. And so there's water on the ground and these four guys flank the door. Um, you know, they block the doorway. They're standing there. The light is coming from behind them. So you see them in shadow. And in the foreground, we've got Norman lying in the water. We've got JB's body lying in the water. And at one point, one of the guys steps into the water and the ripple is what alerts Norman to the fact that they venture. I mean, it's actually kind of cool. Kind of um, cool, but you, if 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 his ears are as in tune as they were, he would have heard them step into the water. But that's I just mean, me. It's very contrived, mm-hmm. but it's nice to look at. You know, like yes. if you're looking for something that looks good, especially for a film that's about a blind man, this does the job. This mm-hmm. does this whole sequence. I think was really cool to look at the use of shadow. Uh, the disorientation of the camera, the fact that the water obscures your sight. And that happens a lot. There's a lot of different sequences, especially in the second half of the film, where our sight is obscured. Um, the guys that Norman is battling, their sight is obscured. So there's an awful lot here that really does give the visual of um, sight impairment and how Norman is able to thwart them because he is used to that and he can find them other ways, whereas they are incredibly disoriented as a result. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. He takes out these three guys. Raul is the only one standing and he has sort of decided, you know what? I'm not with these guys anymore. So let's go back just for a moment. How does he take these guys out? These ripples, this was really cool. I'm not tearing this part apart. This was really kind of cool how he did this. It was just snap reflexes being as a Navy SEAL. So all three of them step into the water and he gets the ripples one at a time. Each hit his hands. All of a sudden, like a robot, Norman sits up, pop, pop, pop. Three gunshots, all dead. I was just like, oh, unexpected. (laughs) I thought he was I thought the water was going to be used as, OK, they're getting closer. They're going to closer. I'm going to do it. All of a sudden, he just takes them all out. Yep. So Raul's sitting at the entrance. He's like, uh, <laughs> I am not in favor of anything that we're going to do. So please don't kill me. <laughs> yeah. He's like, dude, you saved my dog. I'm going to help you out. Oh, my God. So that he takes so off. Cool. There's this whole thing where now uh, he finds them in the empty pool area. And so, again, we're now going to elevate the heightened sense of sight and excuse me, elevated sense of hearing um, in an echoey, empty, tiled chamber uh, where everything is echoing off. The voices echo off. You have um, the surgeon trying to leave you because they have no power so they have to leave and go do this somewhere else you've got josephine in her chair 
Phoenix is handcuffed to her so she can't escape. You've got Rylan there trying to leave. And of course, you know, the, the blind man is there, um, releases these cans of insect spray that fog up the entire room. There's some light in the room because Rylan has shot out the boards over the windows. Um, so now there's this weird red haze. Mm-hmm. Nobody can see anything. <clears throat> of course, there's more than one shot where Josephine almost falls into the pool and somebody steps. I mean, in. Do you think this pool is going to come into play at all? Like at just, all whatsoever? I have no idea. It just might. You know, it's a little bit of foreshadowing 101, as we've already covered. Um, so in this sort of climactic finale, this is when everything kind of goes to hell because you've got 14 different things happening. You've got Rylan trying to track Norman. You've got Norman trying to save Phoenix. You've got Phoenix trying to escape. You've got the surgeon who goes, screw this, I'm out of here. He tries to leave. He's killed. Uh, That's how you I. And that's how they first identify that he is right there, that he has found them by killing the surgeon at the emergency door. Slits his throat with the machete that he got from Hernandez's van. Um, and so you've got Rylan basically firing blindly, pun completely intended, into this <laughs> fog. Eventually, a wild shot hits Josephine. So now Josephine, who was dying to begin with, is now definitely dying. Mm-hmm. Um kind of slumps forward her chair is now heading toward the pool phoenix can't escape she manages to kind of get out of the chair but then the chair goes over josephine is now hanging over the deep end this grand canyon height cliff of a pool apparently by the way end is going to be a difference you know and 10 to 12 feet yeah for sure i mean mean, they, they make it sound like they're falling off the empire state building well, that's the echoes, too, you know, and that's your perspective. So it makes it that much scarier, um, that much more But intense. If, if she were to fall, if Phoenix were to get dragged into this pool and fall, she's probably not going to die from it. I'm just no, trying to No, she would definitely be severely hurt. Yeah. Uh, especially if Josephine lands on her, you know, there's potential for her to land on her head. I mean, it's just, it's not a good deal. Mm-hmm. So as <clears throat> she's hanging, as her... Uh, well, birth father is fighting with her protective father. I don't know. I wouldn't say adoptive, but you know what I mean. You know, this whole sequence, like, what were your thoughts of what was going on here? Was this a suspenseful sequence? No. Were you nervous or were you just like, get on with it already? Get on with it already. I think I was more, I think I was more focused on how high, how deep the pool actually was. <laughs> so you were distracted by silly things. It wasn't distracted. It, it's just like, huh. Okay, and then she decides to release herself from her mother by chopping off her arm because well, she's handcuffed. Well, the machete is within arm. reach. Yeah, so that was it's like okay, this is this is what's happening. Got it. Um, no, not that suspenseful. Um, you got a sense that you knew what was going to end up happening if you've seen these two movies at this point. Um, right. But. No, it's very anti. You said it's the climax of this movie. I think it's the anti-climax of this movie. Um, I, I I knew what they were trying to do, but it definitely didn't grab my attention for too long. Again, I was really focused on the height of the pool. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of those. Like you know, you have this trope in in suspense and horror films of like that last gasp, that last jump, mm-hmm. and there's too many of them in this film, yeah. especially at the end. You know, so you do have this point where yes, Phoenix eventually. Um, gets her her hand separated from 
this thing, but not until she falls in the pool um, mm. and is able to separate her mother's arm from there. And then she can take the handcuffs off. Um, obviously, you know, Rylan is is taken out um, by the blind man and, you know, literally an eye for an eye because yeah the blind man Baby, all you mind. game of thrones fans out there just think of prince over instantly <laughs> when i went to cool you're gonna see what i see i turn on my wife and says don't look <laughs> don't it's not as good as it could be I know they definitely made it. They definitely did their best. You got the little like the pussy, the the goo coming out of his eyes because both thumbs go deep in there. I'm sure he could scratch his brain if he had an issue. Was in there so far. (laughs) Um, So you're gonna see for some reason. And and I thought of this as soon as that happened. I'm like, I don't think that would actually kill him. But they did represent him. They did actually represent that it did kill Rylan at first. Well, the suggestion is that, you know, like he's out of commission. I mean, frankly, you do that to me, I'm going to go unconscious myself. Um, I hate plans, but... So, you know, you have that moment of, oh, he's dead. No, he's not really. Of course not. It's a suspense film. So, you know, he has gotten a shot or two off and Norman is is bleeding and we have this pseudo-touching moment where Norman is telling Phoenix to go, don't come close to me, I'm a monster, I've done terrible things, and you can't be near me, and she wants him to stay alive, let me help you, and he says, you already have, and I guess I'm supposed to shed a tear here, but um, my eyes have been poked out, I cannot shed any more tears, so... You know, you have your your little jump, you have your, okay, we're gonna save everybody, okay, we're gonna dispatch with this, um, you know, Phoenix emerges from the hotel. We have this very beautiful shot. I will give them credit for this. It's a little much, but it's a very beautiful shot uh, where she's kind of looking off. The sun is rising and you've got her mostly in shadow, but her hair is kind of caught in the wind a little bit. And there is a bit of, oh, the, you know, manifestation of the Phoenix, the girl rising from the flames for a second time. Um, you know, it does look like her hair is kind of on fire sort of thing. It's very quick, but it is a very beautiful shot. Um, and of course, she she goes off and she knocks on the door of the Covenant shelter and asks if they've got room for one more. And of course they do. So that's lovely. Um, and we have the ubiquitous, we're going to see if somebody's still alive, crap, back at the hotel Um you know, the, you get the couple of those last jumps and whatever, but essentially that's the end of the film. Now, did you stay for the post credit scene, Mark? I did. I did stay for the post credit scene. Um, so my I, question is, <laughs> the dog comes back because the dog uh-huh. is now loyal to Norman, which I kind of yes. Like. He and lost looking, the dog, so he gets the dog. We're looking at Norman's hand. The scene was so short. Did the hand twitch? Did you I see did, it? I didn't see it twitch. I saw the dog kind of lick the hand. That's all I saw. Yeah. I don't think it moved either. I think there was a suggestion of it. They were what they wanted us to think it was going to, but it didn't actually. I agree. I don't think his hand moved. Yeah, There's that. Very oh, odd. oh, is he still alive? Is he still alive? Uh, no, I don't uh, think he is. Because please, Saigas and... Alvarez, please do not make a third. Not because these movies are terrible, but simply because you've done it. You've told the story. Time to move on. 
Exactly, I agree. It, they shouldn't have made a second one. I'm not going to lie. They should not have made a second one. This is why I don't like sequels, because mm-hmm. more often than not, they end up not being useful. This movie is not useful. It does not help the first one. It does not enrich the story at all. It just is kind of like, hey, we're going to take this trope and do it again. Mm-hmm. And beat it. Beat it to death. Yeah, it's just, it, we just Excuse don't the need pun. it. Yeah. We just don't need it, unfortunately. Yeah. Not a not a fan. Don't need to see this one again, but would watch the first one multiple times. Oh, for sure, because the first one is really really good. First the first one, one is so definitely good. worth your time. Yes, so good. All right. So, By the way, yes. Wait, wait. Before before we go on, I wasn't gonna mention this, but you know what? Why not? I'm gonna mention this. <clears throat> so I don't know what had gotten into me, but when we had chosen "Don't Breathe" too as the movie. I was very excited. Everybody was listening. So we go to the movies. I go to the movie theater, my wife and I watch the movie and we're and we're leaving the theaters. And for some reason, (laughs) I I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but I thought I didn't realize it was the same guy. I didn't realize that it was. Stephen Lang in the first one, and then Stephen Lang in this one. For some strange reason, what? I thought the first one. I thought the first one was. It was a, a different guy. guy. I thought it was a black guy. What the hell are you even? I don't about? know what I was thinking. I don't. I I have this image in my head, and I can't get it out of it. But I can't identify what it is. I don't it's know. Wrong. I have no idea. You can so sit. I was so sure of it. Oh, you can oh my sit God, so in stupid. your wrongness and be wrong. Oh, um, however, I, you did notice. Was... Did you recognize who plays Rylan? I did. Oh I my did God! I did notice it, and I figured this was all because he stole too many CDs. I figured I... he was just just got out of prison his CDs, and he was like, "All right, I want my kid now." So Brandon Sexton the Third, hmm. who played Warren in Empire Records. <laughs> plays Ryland. And so it's funny because it, I didn't recognize him. Mm-hmm. I saw his name in the credits and I was like, oh my God, it's Warren. You know, Warren of my name isn't Warren. Don't call me effing Warren from Empire Records, stealing the CDs, stealing uh, Whitney Houston. Uh, it's for his girlfriend. Oh my God. Um, Warren has grown up to be even more of a criminal. I think you're right. He has come out of prison from stealing yes. those CDs his from CDs Lucas. And he wants his kid back. And from Joe, he 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 decided to cook meth. And, you know, he he was a failed actor trying to get onto Breaking Bad and he did not succeed. So he and his Correct. girlfriend made meth. Love they it. failed at it. I mean, what a mess. But holy crap. I think, we, I think we have an origin story here, actually. I think... Let's get in touch with this director. Let's let's make it a prequel. We gotta get Warren into see. I'll watch a Warren story, but Warren is by, dead. By the way, if you have not seen Empire Records, uh, do it. You know what's interesting? Somebody uh, so the 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 award winners part podcast recently posted online, and they were saying, you know, what's a movie that you absolutely have to watch on VHS? And people were putting a couple of classics and such. And my answer is Empire Records. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but when Empire Records was put onto DVD, they put a remix version, um, obviously playing with the idea of music and remixes. But the cut of Empire Records that's on the VHS tape, 
The remix version plays with the chronology, adds some deleted scenes, and completely changes the outline. Not completely. Enough that it annoys the heck out of me. You can't get the original cut from the VHS on DVD. And so it's infuriating because there's additional scenes. They're out of order. The sound doesn't match because they play Dire Straits as Romeo and Juliet. If you remember the film, you know when that happens. Um, But if you only saw the film on DVD... You're not seeing the original version, so there's actually more than one scene where Romeo and Juliet is playing, and they're not consecutive scenes. Hmm. In the VHS version, it's That's one scene. Interesting. So it drives me insane. Very interesting. So hmm. If you haven't checked out the Award Wieners podcast, make sure you check them out. They're very cool guys. Um, hmm. It's a fun thing, but it, it was just something that really stuck out to me. So anyway, hmm. random fun fact talking anyway. about Brandon Sexton. Um so anyway, I guess we should move on, get to our next title since we've been yammering for a little while. Are we ready we have. to spin the wheel? Let's do it. Here we go. No, God, please, no, no. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a new list. Episode four will be a film from Marx. Yes. Of Doom. Let's do it. I'm excited. I hate every single one of these movies and don't want to watch any of them. Push the button on that randomizer, Mark. What will we be watching for episode four? There is a God in heaven. Please be kind to me. Oh, God. All right. I am so sorry. (laughs) We will be watching... 2019 comedy. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but of course Murphy's Law has come and reared its ugly head at our recording of episode 1.3. As I was editing the episode, it discovered that the sound dropped out as Mark was announcing the film. Apparently the universe does not want us to announce it to you, so I will need to do it here. Our next film is 2019's comedy, Good Boys. Back to the show. Wait. (laughs) Oh, no, wait a minute. Yes. That's the one that had, um, it was the kids, right? It's like a contemporary yes. super bad. I don't think I'm too worried about this one. I remember seeing the trailers for this one, which I watched because I had no intention of seeing the films, but I haven't right. seen them in forever. I don't think this, I remember looking at this going, this is gonna be interesting. What I liked about it is I liked the song used in the trailer. So I'm like, oh, but maybe it's not so bad. Oh, God. Okay. So episode four will be Good Boys. Good Boys. We're hitting a comedy. I mean, a real comedy or a contemporary comedy. I mean, Teeth was satirical comedy, but it's not really a comedy first and foremost. So, I mean, we're kind of moving our way through some of these genres. We're not doing too bad. We had our fantasy. We had our our horror. We had our satirical dark comedy slash horror. Now we're going full on comedy. Heaven help us. Yeah. Um, Comedy, air quotes. Oh, this is going to be interesting, I think. I think this may be one where we're really kind of groaning going through our discussion, huh? You're so welcome. (laughs) There's a reason this is on my list. (laughs) Oh, all right. Let's point out four episodes, four lists. All four lists have been touched in the first four episodes. No duplicate lists. And I promise you I'm not manipulating this wheel. This is literally what has come up. So doing pretty well. It's not too bad. All right. Uh, we appreciate you listening to us. Tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at all three. We are the Siblist. 
Um, yeah. I am Lisa Leahy. And I am Mark Pastanelli. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Copyright 2021 Rabbit Hole Podcast. Rabbit Hole Podcast.com.